Good to see you here today as we come for this hour of worship. We had a, a little larger crowd than usual at the early service because of the youth uh, making a presentation regarding their mission trip. Um, so that may knock us down a few num in number today, but it's good to see you here as we worship God together during this hour. Um, Council on Ministries will be meeting this afternoon. We remind our folks about that. Sunday night programs will be kicking off for the fall next Sunday, the 22nd, uh, with a church-wide ice cream social. We could use more churns than we've got right now. So if you're good at that, if you let Chris Harris, uh, Judy Harris, or someone in the office know about it, we would appreciate it. But that is next Sunday from 5.30 until 7 o'clock. And it will also be an opportunity for you to preview the Bible studies that will be offered uh, for all ages during uh, the fall. And also learn more about the uh, children's activities which will be offered. Promotion Sunday is August the 29th. That's two Sundays away. I want to remind you that that is a fifth Sunday. And so as such, we'll have a little different schedule that day. That will be an occasion for our two worship services to come together so we can all be together to, to know one another. This time the setting will be in the Family Life Center, a contemporary worship experience at 10 o'clock. That's two weeks from today. So um, if you come at 11 o'clock two weeks from today, you'll have a nice quiet sanctuary all to yourself. But we hope you'll be here for the, the 10 o'clock hour then. Other announcements are in your bulletin, as, uh, as you can see, and hope you'll read them as you have an opportunity. We have one person in the hospital uh, that I know of, and that is Terry Church. Uh, Terry had been in China for three weeks on business, and you know, they say that one of the great dangers in plane flight is blood clots, and that certainly is what happened with, uh, with Terry. He's over in Spartanburg Hospital with multiple blood clots in his uh, legs. So remember him in your prayers as he recovers from what is a very potentially very serious kind of situation. Let us begin now our time together in worship.
affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed on page 881 of your hymnal. Let us unite in this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and buried. Third day rose from the dead. He ascended in heaven and sat at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. This time I'd like to call on Katie Jeter, who will come now to lead us in uh, Back to School Blessing. Good morning. Will all the kids come down front and join me for the Back to School Blessing? This is going to be in place of our children's sermon today, so if you'll just come right down here. This is anybody going back to school, you're welcome to come down here. And then I would like to ask anyone out in the congregation that's going back to school in any way, teachers or any kind of school support staff, if you would like to stand for the blessing so we know who you are, you're welcome to. Will you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for all that you have given us. We thank you for creating us and filling us with good things, for giving us your son Jesus to show us the way to you. Bless these students, these teachers, and support staff as they begin this new school year. Help them in all that they do to appreciate the goodness in themselves and to look for the good in those around them. Help them live their faith and their love for you by loving those around them. Help them to see your presence always. May they turn to you in good times and in bad and know that you are their strength. As they grow on the outside, may they grow on the inside too, in knowledge and in love for you and others. Let your Holy Spirit give them the gifts of wisdom, understanding, and knowledge to help them learn the things you need them to know. Bless all children, students, teachers, and support staff this day. Give them inquiring minds and discerning hearts. Give them courage to persevere in all that they undertake. Give them laughter and love to share with all. Give them protection and safety as they move out of your embrace and give them sure and certain knowledge of your unfailing love. May my prayer this morning be a blessing to everyone who it is prayed over, and may it be a reminder to all of us to keep all of these back-to-schoolers in our thoughts and prayers this week and this school year. We ask all this through Jesus Christ. Amen. I have a little gift, a little reminder for you to take with you to help you remember that everyone at church is praying for you as you go back to school. And if anyone else would like one for back to school, they'll be sitting right in the back. So everybody is welcome to one. There are plenty. Our Old Testament lesson is from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with choicest vines. 
He built a watchtower on it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now, you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I've done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall, and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 80, on, found on page um, 801. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share God's word together responsibly. <clears throat> Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Judah like a flock, you who are enthroned upon the cherubim shine forth in the presence of Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come and save us. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You make us the scorn of our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the path pluck its fruit? Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. They have burned it with fire, they have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Then we will never turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call on your name. Epistle reading is from Hebrews 11, verses 19 through chapter 12, verse 2. That is on page 1878 in your pew Bible, if you would like to turn to that page. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. 
And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign enemies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here ends the lesson. Let us join our hearts together for a time in prayer.
It is good, O oh Lord, that we have examples to follow. Sometimes all we humans need is evidence that something can be done. And then many of us follow and succeed. We're thankful for the heroes of the faith who persevered through great difficulty, faced hardship and challenges, even enduring punishment and death because of their faithfulness to you and their confidence in you. We are grateful for those who show us an example of refusal to be allowed a life of ease while others are suffering. And for those who were willing, Lord, to endure on earth because they knew there was the reward of eternity waiting for them. We especially remember Jesus who endured the shame of the cross and the pain of the cross because of the joy that he knew would be his when the redemption of all of us, your children, had been accomplished by his death. And he knew that when he appeared before you in heaven, he would be there representing all of us who would follow to be at your throne one day. Thank you for the joy that sustained Jesus and help us, Lord, to be like Jesus, to remember the big picture, to remember that there is a great future for us and that therefore present suffering is to be endured. At the same time, Lord, we're thankful for those who relieved the suffering of people that they saw. And we are reminded of great people of history like Moses, who freed an entire enslaved people, and those in our day like Mother Teresa, who saw the suffering of others and knew that she must be a part of that suffering and yet bring your relief to these, your children. And so we are thankful, Lord, that as we walk through this, this life, you give us many opportunities to serve in your name, to comfort those who need your love and care, to encourage those whose faith is being beaten down by life in these moments. And so we pray that you would help us to do that. We pray, Lord, that we would always be mindful that we leave a legacy, that we are surrounded by many who went before us in life and live faithfully for you. And we look to these as our examples. Cause us to remember, Lord, that a day will come when someone will call our names and we will be only a memory to them. May our lives inspire those who live after us. We pray these things through Jesus Christ who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
good to be back home with you um, this Sunday after having been away last week. We certainly did get our son married, um, and they should be returning to the Spartanburg area this week to get ready to teach school together this next year. Um, who, who in here told me they were from the Indiana area or lived up there before? Some of you had built. I met one of your finest highway patrolmen on the way back. <laughs> <clears throat> you, you hate that when that happens, I tell you. But anyway, thank you for your thoughts and prayers. Uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 56 is the gospel reading for today. Jesus is speaking some surprising words. I've come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearances, the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you're going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way or he may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer throw you into prison, I tell you, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Here ends the lesson. <clears throat> well, it's back. Football season is here. Soon it will be time again for Lucy to hold the football for Charlie Brown, and then jerk it out of the way just as he runs up to kick it. I imagine that some of you have plans to attend the games at Death Valley or at Williams Bryce, and a few of you may head down to the land between the hedges. Now the next time you're there at one of those stadiums, I want you to imagine what it would be like if the stands were filled with everybody rooting for just one of the teams. Everybody was behind your team. And what would it be like for those players on the field to experience that kind of support? And what if everybody up in the stands not only was 100% behind them, but what if they also had played football many years ago? What would it be like for the players to play for a packed house of former players? who understood what it was like to be under the pressure of television cameras and the national media, as is true of our college teams nowadays. I'm sure that they would play at their highest potential. They would feel surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses supporting every play. That really is the picture that the writer of Hebrews was painting when he wrote, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, let's go out and play at our highest potential. The purpose of the lengthy list of heroes found in Hebrews chapter 11, 
leading to the crescendo of Jesus being the hero who endured the cross. Uh, the purpose of that is to point out that most people who have been determined to walk with God have been met with some adversity. Enemies of faith abound. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, even admitted that his coming had set people against each other, even within family units. While it is still very true that there is no life to be found out there that is equal to the fulfillment you find in the Christian life, and there really is no substitute to be found for the assurance of eternal life that comes to us through faith in Jesus, people still need to know that it will not be an easy journey. Temptations never go away. The taproot of sin in our lives may have been cut, but the weeds live on in our lives until we die. Faith does not offer us shelter from the illnesses of life and even eventual death. Persecution and ridicule are still possible for Christians in our day. In fact, troubles just might be the assurance to us that we need to know that we're headed in the right direction. But we're not alone in our journey. God goes with us. And so does that great cloud of witnesses as they cheer us on. That cloud is made up of our faith family, our faith heritage. You and I come from a great line of followers of Jesus Christ. As many of you have heard, if you've talked to me this year, I've been on a, a, an in interesting historical journey trying to learn something about my family heritage this past year, simply because this time last year, I didn't know any further back down the line than my grandfather. I wanted to know something about those that came before my grandfather because in many ways, those unknown people have had a greater influence on my life than anybody else, even my parents. And so I was determined to learn what I could. Robert and Dorothy Holt, made a decision to leave England for Maryland in the mid-1600s, probably because they didn't like the politics going on in England with Oliver Cromwell. And their decision influenced my nationality. Claiborne Holt decided to move to Spartanburg in 1800, and that made me a Southerner, determining my accent. I spent all last weekend complaining to those Midwesterners up there in Indiana about their confounded, unsweetened tea. What's wrong with those people? Southerners know better than make, to make tea and leave it unsweetened, for pity's sake. Learning more about my ancestors has helped me understand more about who I am and why I am the way I am. It also has made me more determined to stay in the Spartanburg area after I retire until I am called to sleep with my ancestors as the scripture calls death. You see, our heritage is very important to us. It tells us who we are. Our faith heritage tells us who we are. We are all sons and daughters of the first man and first woman, and therefore we are all brothers and sisters, even though our travels around the planet have changed us to the point that we no longer look like we're that much kin, but we are. We are akin to Abraham who ventured far out from home, daring to follow God to a new place, believing that God could make something out of us. We're like the Israelites who, do, who dared to follow God out of slavery to sin into the land of promise of the new life we can have in Jesus Christ. Like Jesus, we are called to a life of faith and self-denial and service where the success of life is not measured by what you attain, but by what you give away. That is who we are. Our heritage tells us who we are, but it also can inspire us. In the list of heroes, here, um, Hebrews repeatedly uses the phrase, by faith. 
You know, faith is a, a, is a two-sided, uh, double-sided coin. Faith can mean trust and dependence upon God, but it also can mean loyalty to God. Those two meanings go together. Those who trust in God show this by their loyalty to God. By trust in God and loyalty to God, people pass through the Red Sea as if they were on dry land. Their faith in God and loyalty to the orders to march around Jerusalem in what had to be a rather absurd seven-day parade resulted in the walls of the city collapsing. Even Rahab became a traitor to her own people in order to be loyal to God. Some conquered kingdoms by faith, others endured torture and death, floggings and imprisonments, others endured poverty rather than to be unfaithful to God. Jesus endured the cross by looking at the joy that was going to be his when he had accomplished his work of redeeming all of us. That's our heritage. That inspires us. We belong to a family of people who persevered in faith and faithfulness in good times and bad. That's who we are. That should inspire us to play at our best. Pastors who visit here are drawn to the rogues gallery that's right out here in this hall, as we call it. Our historical committee has put together pictures of all the pastors who have served Memorial Church across the years. It is eye-catching and inspiring. I find great hope when I look at, that, uh, at those pictures of those pastors because I figure if you at Memorial survived them, there's a good chance you can survive me too. I see the picture of my great-grandfather Austin B. Earl and my uncle Joel Cannon who served this church, and I think what a privilege it is to be mine at this time, to be reaping the harvest that they planted. You are a strong church indeed if you can survive three hits from the same gene pool. But whenever I see the pictures of those pastors, I'm reminded that I am surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, pastoral witnesses, who are yelling their words of encouragement down at me today and every day. Lord, help me hear them. I owe them so very much. And you do too. You know, people that followed Jesus during the first three centuries of the Christian faith had to go into hiding and live in hiding, fearing for their lives and the lives of their families. They could be declared unfit parents just because they believed in Jesus, and their children could be removed from their homes. They had to worship in secret, fearing the Romans. Somehow, without Kinko's and Xerox machines, they managed not only to write, but to reproduce hundreds of copies of their sacred, sacred texts, even while they were running in fear of the authorities. They were fed to lions. They were burned at the stake. But the Christian faith not only survived, it thrived. Don't we owe these pioneers of the faith something? In the 17th century, people died crossing the Atlantic Ocean in search of religious and political freedom. Hey, would you believe that my first cousin has discovered a link between your former pastor and my great-grandpa, Austin Earl, and three of the passengers on the Mayflower? Hey, I'm a pilgrim. Can you believe that? You probably are, too. Just had not found out about it yet. Uh, we have a young man in our church who's seven generations removed from Pocahontas. I think that's amazing, too. Most of you have ancestors who came here not looking to get rich, but just looking for freedom, especially freedom to worship God in the manner that they chose. Don't we owe them something as Christians and as Americans? Our heritage informs us. Our heritage inspires us. But our heritage doesn't have to limit us. You can always adjust your heritage just a little bit 
I mentioned earlier my forebears, Robert and Dorothy Holt. Theirs may have been one of the first divorces to be recorded in America. I don't know what went wrong, but she was overheard telling a friend that she'd just as soon kill her husband as to have to keep living with him. Now, I've heard some of you wives say the same thing. No, not really, no. But when I heard that my ancestor said that, I thought, well, maybe she's kin to Penny. But subsequent generations in my family have not been limited to that divorce. Others who came along in the line chose a different heritage for themselves, a healthier heritage. One of my very good friends went through this as a teenager. As a teenager, he became very much aware that his biological heritage had been detrimental in his family for generations. And he was determined to end that and to have a different heritage to pass on to future generations. He was invited by his Sunday school teacher to graft himself into her family. And so throughout his college years and even after graduating and even during his marriage, my friend would go to that family at Christmas time to celebrate Christmas dinner with his new family with this, with this new adopted heritage, complete with a new mother and father and siblings, my friend became a much healthier human being, a more successful human being, and he became a very wise pastor, tossing aside the harmful heritage that had been destroying his family for generations. You see, he made a decision that he was going to be like a new family, not the old. The New Testament tells us we can do the same thing. We can abandon our heritage of sin and death and graft ourselves into the family of God where God is our father and Jesus is our big brother. Paul said that's exactly what happened with the Gentiles who had been grafted together with Israel into a new tree rooted in Christ Jesus. We have a great and glorious heritage that can inspire and motivate our futures. We are surrounded by this great heritage, this cloud of witnesses, and that should tell us who we are. It should inspire us and help us to live faithfully. And if you're not a part of this heritage of faith, it's very easy to become a part of it. You can have new roots for your life, and you can do that today by embracing faith in Jesus Christ. We're all out on that playing field. We're all facing a team of enemies determined to defeat us. But up there in the stand surrounding us is a great cloud of witnesses, followers of God who have already fought and won the good fight of faith. They were once on the field of battle. So they understand our struggles. But now they are at the throne of God, worshiping God, joining Christ in praying for us here on earth. That heritage should inform us of who we are and what a life of faithfulness looks like. Our heritage should inspire us to be as dedicated to our Lord as they were. Our heritage removes our limitations because it includes Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Amen.